Hello and welcome. My name is Amelia, otherwise known as DJ EJ, and this is Club Crime, a true crime broadcast recording live here at KTCU. How is everyone? I honest, I say this every week, but it always feels like such a long time in between episodes, and I guess maybe a week is a long time for some, but for others it's really not. But I always miss you guys. I always like just coming here at the end of a long Monday morning and, you know, it's nighttime now and just kind of talking about a fun little story and letting it all out and it's just kind of a nice break from any studying I have to do, any homework, whatever. But thank you all so much for the support on last week's episode. If you don't remember or if you haven't listened yet on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we had my friend Stella in. Um, and what did we talk about last week? Um, oh my gosh, I am totally blanking on what we talked about last week. But oh, the Kristen Smart case, which was a hometown case of mine. I live in the town where Kristen Smart got murdered and disappeared unfortunately um and that's been a little bit of a trend for all of my episodes so far i've had a little bit of a personal connection to all of them and today might be a little bit different but i still think i somewhat have a little bit of a personal connection to this one but without further ado let me introduce you to my guest today i'm joined by my friend caitlin caitlin would you like to introduce yourself hello i'm caitlin I am a double major at TCU. I'm theater studies BFA and psychology BS. I am from Texas, and that's all. That's all there is about that's me. All. Yeah. Um, what is your interest in true crime? I used to watch Criminal Minds, and I watched 15 seasons of it. Oh. So I feel like I'm a pretty dedicated fan, actually. I would, I would say so. It's a long 15 seasons. I've never seen Criminal Minds. Should I? It was watch really it? good for the first eight seasons. Okay. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. If, exactly. I, if I get. I, there's like so many shows I like feel like I need to watch and I just. Yeah. Especially long yeah. shows like that. It's so hard to get started on them. Isn't it? Like mm-hmm. it's. Oh, it's the so dedication. Mm hmm. All right. So I'm going to tell you your guest duties for the show. Ooh. So I'm going to tell you a true crime story. It is your job to react, ask questions, add in your own personal anecdotes, and just add to the story in any way you want. So you can stop me at any time, whenever you want. Just, it's up to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll try my best. All right, so you have to promise to all the listeners that I did not tell you at all what tonight's story is going to be. No, I don't know anything. Cross your heart, hope to die. I cross my heart, hope to die. I, g- I gave you a little hint. I told you that it will be about a disappearance. Exactly. I asked for a genre. So do you have any guesses based on disappearance? Or? Disappearance? I'm going to be so real. The only thing running through my mind right now is Criminal Minds episodes. Mm. So I really... I I don't know. Yeah. So... All right. Well, <laughs> I know. I've never seen Criminal Minds. I'm trying to think of like some something like fun to like say, but I don't really know anything about the show, so I don't... I don't have anything fun to add. I know that there's, like, a girl with, like, blonde hair who wears, like, there fun is. outfits. Her name is uh, Penelope Garcia. Oh, love. She's cool. She's um, cool. So tonight's story um, is going to be the life and disappearance of Amelia Earhart. <gasps> oh, that's exciting. All right. Sources for tonight's story include AmeliaEarhart.com, New World Encyclopedia, History.com, Britannica, Smithsonian Magazine, and Biography.com. You ready to get into it? I'm ready. 
All right, so to the listeners and to you, Caitlin, this first major chunk of the story is just going to be a huge biography of Mm -hmm. Amelia Earhart's life and who she was leading up to her disappearance. Educational. Very educational. Good. All right. Amelia Mary Earhart was born on July 24th, 1897 in Atchkinson, Kansas. It's such like hard. There's a lot of hard names to pronounce in this story. So if I butcher any of them, I apologize. It's okay. I believe in you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Two parents, Edwin and Amy Otis Earhart. Now, before we go on, I always think this is a little funny, but my birthday is July 23rd, and it is the day before Amelia Earhart's birthday. Oh, so close. And everyone thinks I'm named after her, but I'm not. I know, when you first started saying Amelia, I thought you were saying, like, Amelia. Yeah, this is is the disappearance of my life. It took me a moment, though. I was like, Amelia Earhart. Oh, it's not even. It's not even just, like, birthday and name. Like, there's other, like, kind of, like, connections. I wouldn't say they're, like, I always say, like, I have these eerie connections, because, like, one of them in the past episode was, like, you know, I grew up in the town where Kristen Smart murdered and died. Yeah, like my, my grandma knew the Manson family. Like oh, that's fun. So, actually. but this one is more just like weird coincidences and just things that kind of like connect to my own life. So I will mm-hmm. say this is like going to be the least personal story that we've done so okay. far. Earhart also had a younger sister named Grace Muriel, born two and a half years after her. Amelia and Grace both eventually took on the nicknames Millie and Pidge, which they took with them their entire lives. While growing up, Amelia and Grace would live in Atchison with their maternal grandparents while school was in session. Then they would spend their summers in Kansas City where with their parents, which the parents sub- subsequently moved. Um, and the parents themselves weren't super well off. The father was like an attorney. So they had like some money, but basically they were sending their kids to their grandparents because they were both model citizens of Atchison, Kansas and very wealthy. Ooh, I love a wealthy grandparent. So getting that will. Mm-hmm. Get in the will and get to live like so comfy and super nice. That's the um, goal. So they got to live there. They both got to go to the private college um, to attend private college preparatory school. But despite her comfortable life, Amelia grew up as a huge tomboy, often exploring, climbing trees, hunting for rats, and sledding. Oh, I love rats. That's so sad. They're my favorite animal ever. I just, I tried to, like, picture that in my mind of, like, what does that look like? like, How do you hunt for rats? That feels really hard. I think of, like, rat, like, traps, but Yeah, no, I'm envisioning her like, a stick and just, like, sprinting after rats in the woods. (laughs) That's honestly, yeah. That's probably. What I, I like. wonder if she ever like got. That's kind of sad, but I wonder if she ever actually got any. Did you catch a rat, Amelia? I know I'm getting rats next year for pets. Oh, I love rats. So Edwin Earhart was a railroad attorney, and in 1905, his private law practice failed. So they were already like not not super well to do, but at this point, like they were starting to lose money fast. Tough. This failure ended in Edwin taking an executive job in Rock I- in the Rock Island Railroad, and both the Earhart parents moved to Des Moines, Iowa, leaving Amelia and Grace with their grandparents until 1908. Which, I, if I'm living that comfortably, I don't know how much I would complain. I, know, about I wouldn't that. mind that much, especially they're already living there during like the school year. That's what I'm thinking it's not too. That like, big of an adjustment. If you're living with your grandparents most of the year, like school years take up most of the year if you're living with them most of the time and go only going back to your parents for three months like i feel like you are 
it's not going to affect your life if you're going to live there full The time. parents feel more like the vacation than the grandparents yes, at that point. Yes, exactly. I mean, you got to get in that wheel. That's the most important part of the whole story, honestly. <laughs> I like that we're sitting, like, in our minds, we're not like, oh, loving grandparents. We're like, money. Like, <laughs> gotta get that. Gotta get the bank. Inheritance, man. At around age of 14, Amelia's life began to struggle, unfortunately. During this time, Amelia's father began started began to start having an issue with alcoholism, and her beloved maternal grandmother, whom she lived with, had died. Did, what about the inheritance? <laughs> That's a terrible reaction. Where, like, oh, we've been talking about this. What happened to the money? <laughs> Did she get in the will at, like... I'm so sad her grandma died. But yeah. did she get into the will? Well, I I think it eventually gets that. I don't think mm. she got the will, but I think her mom did. Maybe it just fueled the alcoholism of her father. That'd Maybe. Be too bad. So, because of the alcoholism and because the grandmother died, Amelia and her sister were both forced to move from Atchison to the unknown Des Moines, Iowa. Unknown to them, not mm. like Des Moines, Iowa had not been discovered yet. It hadn't. It was. I. It still hasn't. Actually, I've never heard of Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> so, the Earhart family issues basically caused them to move around often. So Des Moines didn't become their permanent home, and the Earhart sisters would often have to switch switch schools. Because of this, Amelia often struggled to make friends and do well academically. Though she was incredibly smart and excelled in sports and science. Finally, both of her parents separated when she was 17. Ugh, so much family drama. So, exactly. By 17? Tough. Lit- no, I, that's what I was thinking about, was, like, you grew up in such, like, in such comfort, and then to suddenly mm-hmm. be, like, displaced out of that, like... And it gets so shifty out of nowhere. And I, like, my heart goes out to anyone that actually has to, like, deal with that today. Oh, yeah. So, but, um... Things did start kind of slowly getting better. Um, Amelia began junior college at a Gaunt's school in Rydell, Pennsylvania. In what year? Like, what? It'd be like early 1900s, right? Yeah. So it's early 1900s. Damn, that's impressive Um, then. Because they they didn't really let women to college a lot back then. I think, like, the school itself. I think junior colleges and stuff. This was around the time of, like... The suffragist suffragessy had like ended. Yeah. Women were getting the right to vote. Okay, because women got the right to vote in nineteen twenty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was like still like kind of not a thing for women to go to school, but uh-huh. it was starting to become more and more of a thing. Cool. Um, so she went to school, and there she excelled in her classes. She played hockey. Um, and was known for how outspoken she was. Despite this, though, Earhart did not finish her senior year because during her winter break in 1917, Amelia visited her sister in Toronto, Canada. While there, she um, saw wounded soldiers returning from World War I, and so she decided to volunteer as a nurse's aide for the Red Cross. So it wasn't like she was just dropping out of school to drop out of school. Yeah, it was like, she was going after I a good see, cause. She was going after a good cause. So it's honestly like kind of like, good for you. Yeah, she said, let me help out. The war effort. So after taking, after taking care of so many wounded pilots, Earhart began to have a very strong admiration for aviation and medicine. She rolled in what? Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Perhaps Amelia Earhart was a pilot. Well, I wonder where this is going. 
So she enrolled at Columbia University to study pre-med in 1919, but dropped out a year later to reunite with her reconciled parents in California. So her parents did get back together. Yay! So it is like, it, things are getting uh, better for it's her. It's all wrapping up nicely. In 1920, Earhart and her father attended an air show in Long Beach, California. On her second day attending, Earhart took a 10-minute flight. After that flight, that was when Amelia Earhart knew that she had to learn how to fly. Wow. So you were right. It was like foreshadowing of like, I met all these wounded pilots. Wow. I wonder what could become of this. Yeah. I I know everybody says it, but it's still so weird to me that her last name is Earhart and then she became a pilot. Like, I know it's not spelled that Mm -hmm. way, but still, everyone talks about that, but it's, it's, how is that not predicted way long ago? They're like, right. by the way, your name is Earhart. And she goes, oh, well, I guess I have to become a pilot. Exactly. Imagine signing up for this. You're like, hey, I'm going to be a pilot now. They're like, is it because of your last name? You're like, no, girl, please. <laughs> well, that was kind of me growing up is like, I would always be like, oh, my name's Amelia. And like, fun fact about me is I was born the day before Amelia Earhart. And they'd be like, are you named after Amelia Earhart? And I'd be like, well, unfortunately, it's not spelled the same. But no. I always like wished it was, though. Like, really? Like, not spelled the same, but I wish sometimes, like, even though my name's spelled differently, like, mm-hmm. that was the reason, like, I was named um, Amelia. I was named after Kate Blanchett. Oh. No reason. My no mom just reason. liked the spelling. Hmm. She said, that's a good way to spell Kate. That's a good way to Adeline. spell Adeline. Adeline. Mm-hmm. Just so that, like, Kate could be your nickname. Exactly. But nobody calls me that because I don't like it. That's okay. Yeah, I don't, have, okay. An, I don't have a nickname either, so we're both <laughs> chilling. Um... So Earhart began working several jobs in order to pay for flying lessons, which she took from a pioneer female aviator named Anita Nita Snook, who was one of like the first ever female pilots. That's such a fun name. Amelia began to completely devote her life to flying. She read about books um, about she read books about flying as much as possible, and she spent as much time as much free time as she could at the airfield. In order to be taken more seriously by the other aviators, especially males, Amelia cropped her hair in the style of other female aviators and even slept in her leather jacket for three days in order to give it a more worn-in look. No, that's how you do it. So you gotta she, wear them in. Yeah. So she really just, like, wanted, like, not only did she want to know everything about flying, not only did she want to be a pilot, but she's like, I want to fit in, too. Yeah, exactly. And I totally get that. I completely she understand that. I gotta that. fit the look. That's so fair. In 1921, Amelia Earhart bought her first airplane, a second-hand Kenner Airster biplane, which she nicknamed the Canary, as it was painted bright yellow. Oh, cute. I love when things have, like, little nicknames. I know. Or, like, when you're talking about, like, ships in the ocean of, like, they all have their, like, cute little names. Yeah, it's so fun. I think you should really just name everything. Also, which one of the sisters was named Pidge? Was Um, that Amelia Grace? Grace Muriel. Mm. Amelia was Millie. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that, like, Pidge feels short for Pigeon. Like, all these little I know. air signs And I family. didn't really look in. Like, Millie obviously comes from Amelia. Yeah. But, like, I didn't know where Pidge came from. So I, I didn't really look into that much. But on October 22nd, 1922, Earhart flew the Canary to a height of 14,000 feet, which became the New World female altitude record Yay. for a pilot. So that was her first ever record that, like, she broke. Good job, Amelia. And on May 15th, 1923, Earhart became the 16th woman to be issued a pilot's license by the Federation Aeronautique. Nice. So she's out here just, like, breaking stereotypes. And just 
It's the night. It's the roaring twenties already, and she's like, <laughs> "I don't care about the parties." She's I'm like, gonna be a pilot. "I got, I got stuff to do. I got stuff to do." Good for her. When I was reading about the canary, my so here's like my other kind of weird connection is so my dad owns two airplanes. Whoa. And he's not a pilot for a living, but he does it like for just like as a hobby. Yeah. So he owns two airplanes, and one of them is like a bright yellow plane. And I was like, when I was looking up the canary, I was like, this kind of reminds me of my dad's airplane. This That's is so fun. fun. Does does the plane have a name? I don't know. The yellow one probably does, but I don't think my dad's ever told me. But his other plane is nicknamed the Millennium Falcon. That's fun. Which I think is like that's my favorite Classic thing ever. Cause I'm such a Star I know. Wars movie. That's Star so Wars fan. funny. But yeah, I I'll text him and I'll ask him what what is the yellow planes? Yeah, I need to know. I need to know. If Joe, right? Joe, Joe, if you are listening right now, um, please text me the name of the yellow airplane. Please, thank you. So now, having found this like newfound love of flying, and she loves it so much it all starts to kind of go wrong. Oh, no. Um, the Earhart family were now living off difficult times. By this point in time, and here you go, oh. the Earhart family was living off of Amy Earhart's family inheritance, which oh, came man. from the grandparents. That There's the was, inheritance. So the inheritance comes in, and it was definitely pretty substantial, but they that's all they were really but it's tough to live off it's tough alone yeah that alone and i don't think they had access to like the homes or anything like Uh. i think it was just money so and that money quickly ran out so Earhart was forced to sell the canary in 1924 that's so sad which is so sad as she was not yet able to make a living off of her flying That's the actual disappearance of the story it's just where did the canary where did the canary go who bought it where is it now I'm sure it's probably like in the Smithsonian. Yeah, I'm sure it's somewhere. Somebody sold like, it. Like I don't think it just disappeared. Um, and in 1925, Amelia and her mother eventually left California and they moved to Boston, where Amelia re-enrolled in Columbia University, but only for a short time. Then eventually became an English teacher and a social worker. Oh, switch crew pass so, real quick. A woman of many talents. Oh yeah. I don't think she really like. Because I think it was hard for her to find a job at the time. This mm-hmm. wasn't yet the Great Depression, no. but I think it was just like, you know, we don't have a lot of money. We're moving around a lot. Like, I don't really have any, like, connections. Oh, okay. He just texted me the nickname. Oh. Of, it's nicknamed is the Tailwind. Oh, that's cute. Dad, I know you're listening to the this, tailwind. but I unfortunately do not think the Tailwind is as good of a nickname as the Canary. <laughs> Close, though. I like the Tailwind. It's a good name. It's that's not a cute. bad name, but I think the canary is just like that's such a cute name. It really is. That's and fun. we'll get into I was of Tweety Bird. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into like one of her other nicknames. Um, and I think the other one's like adorable. Oh. Like the nicknames that she came up with two of her planes are just the that's absolute fun. cutest things ever. You know what, Amelia's dad? I'm just glad that you named your planes. I appreciate <laughs> that personally. <laughs> well, and it also runs in the family because my car has a name too. Oh, what's your car's name? Todd. Just Todd. plain and simple, Todd. You know what? I can see it. I can see it. You know? And like I, it just, it stays, play, it, like, it everyone knows round. Todd now. And it goes, yeah. it's easy to remember. Todd. Todd. <laughs> so, by 1927, Earhart was able to gradually get back into aviation. So, good for her. Hooray. And she became a member of the American Aeronautical Society's Boston chapter, investing a small amount of money in the Denison Airport in Massachusetts and acting as a sales representative for Kinner Airplanes. 
Slowly but surely, Amelia began to be known as a local celebrity in the area. Ooh. Because she would also write, um, in the newspapers, she would write, like, stories about, like, aviation and, like... That's crazy. And, like, not, like, fictional stories. Of, yeah. Like, little, but it would be, like, about, like, you know, this is the new plane that's been invented. Yeah. Or, like, here's, you know, some advances or, like, whatever. So she'd write those and she'd be really popular for that. That's called mixing your specialties. She so said, she I was an English teacher, but now let's bring these two together real quick. <laughs> yeah. So she wasn't, like, famous famous yet, but she was yeah. definitely, like, gathering a She's name known. for herself. She's a name. And this name actually led to one of her first ever like major major achievements Ugh. so after charles Lindbergh became the first person to fly solo non-stop across the atlantic ocean from new york to paris in may of 1927 talks began of a woman flying solo across Ooh, the atlantic scandalous and in april of 1928 Earhart was approached by pilot Captain Hilton H. Rayleigh and asked if she wanted to be the first person to fly across the Atlantic as a passenger. <gasps> so she wasn't going to fly solo, but yeah. he was going to fly and wanted to know, do you want to come with us? Little trip. And a woman hadn't flown across the Atlantic yet, so yeah. why not her? She's just along for the ride. She's there. She's just watching. She's just backstreet driving. She's like, I actually need to pull. Hey, do this instead. You're Back honestly kind of foreshadowing again. Ooh. So on June 17th, 1928, Earhart took off from Newfoundland, Canada, accompanied by pilot Wilmer Bill Stoltz and co-pilot and mechanic Louis E. Slim, as his nickname, Ooh. Gordon, in a Fokker F7 nicknamed Friendship. How cute. She didn't nickname that one, but I still Friendship. think that. I think Friendship's really cute. Taking off on the good old friendship and about 20 hours and 40 minutes later which i'm like oh dear lord like there's no bathroom on this plane and you're oh stuck gosh. in like and it wasn't a big airplane like it was no. a pretty small cabin airplane like being stuck in there with two guys for 20 oh, hours bro. and 40, i would get so Just bored had a, oh man i would be so taking bored. a nap the whole time i'd be like watching me like wow i'm flying this is so cool and well, for about two hours of yeah. it i'd be like okay well and regardless of like, if cool. i had my phone or not like you would eventually run out of things to talk about with these guys. Oh yeah, I'd be like so, guys. Um, what's your what, what's your spirit animal? <laughs> Literally, like I would start making up like the most random questions just to keep myself. Like, yeah, exactly. Entertained. If you were to commit the perfect crime, what do you think it would be in detail and why? <laughs> Ex Go for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, like I said, it was a twenty-hour and forty-minute-long flight. Ooh. And after that long period of time, the trio touched down in Wales. Although this became a huge, monumentous occasion, Earhart later stated that not being able to actually pilot during the flight made her feel left out, but eager to one day try the flight alone. No, because that's so fair. Imagine being on this, like, big revolutionary thing, and you and can't even do anything. And you're also a anything. pilot. Yeah, you're a pilot. You know you're good. But you can't touch anything. And you can't even do anything. You're sitting back there, watching two I, other people do I it. I would be so upset. My fingers would be twitching. I'd be like, please. <laughs> Just for 30 minutes. Come on, man. So once the friendship returned to the U.S., a parade was held in the team's honor in New York, and later a reception was held in their honor by President Calvin Coolidge at the White House. Ooh. After this, Amelia was given the nickname Lucky Lindy in the press, derived from Charles Lindbergh's nickname Lucky Lind. That's fun. Getting so. famous out here. So now she's, like, famous, famous. Yeah. Like, with the president? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Big shot. And this isn't the first president she gets to meet. Oh. She gets to meet other presidents. Ugh, she's just going through the list. Going down them all. So, using her newfound fame, while also continuing to fly, Earhart wrote a book in 1928 called 20 Hours, 40 Minutes, in reference to the 20-hour, 40-minute long flight that they took across the Atlantic. Well, I wouldn't have guessed. Um, She also began promoting new styles of women's clothing, because she was very interested in women's fashion, and became, like, basically started, like, giving her own, like, opinions out of, like, what women should wear. She's just into everything. She's into everything, and she also became an associate editor at Cosmopolitan Magazine. Girl. No, because that's impressive. Which still today is, like, one of the biggest women's magazines I know. She said, let me do it all real quick. But... She didn't just use these outlets to promote, like, fashion or anything. She also used them to promote campaign for commercial air travel, which was becoming a thing. Yeah. So being able to travel by plane instead of, like, train or automobile. Planes, trains, and automobiles. That is a movie. And it's pretty funny. I've actually never seen it. I've seen it once. You should watch it. Were there planes, trains, and automobiles? There were simply planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay. If, if you couldn't have guessed. I wouldn't. That wasn't, no, it wasn't even my mind. I actually just looked it up right now, and it said planes, trains, and automobiles were in it. So. And you, it was just like, gotta check their sources. Light bulb went on inside your head. Whoa. Whoa, guys. Is this where the Did you know from? that planes, trains, and automobiles has all three of those fun things? Fun fact for you guys. <laughs> me going into parties. This is my fun fact. Hey, guys. Me flirting. Hey, so actually, did you know that planes, trains, and automobiles... <laughs> So, by the press, um, Earhart is seen as gracious and brave, yet somewhat shy. She is also, unfortunately, not, like, a brilliant aviator by any means. So, what she's doing is not, like, revolutionary Mm -hmm. by any means. But um, in an effort to distinguish herself, Earhart flew purely on instinct rather than use the ever-evolving technologies that were being added to planes. So she, and when I say instinct, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to go in the air and go wherever. Like, she was using, like, navigation of, like, maps and compasses and, like, celestial, like, navigation, whatever. But she wasn't using, like, you know. Yeah. All the, like, evolving technology. Like (laughs) she's just going to wing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But, um. I'm going to credit that to the dad jokes book that's sitting right next to me. <laughs> the KTCU. Exactly. It's actually going to get added in there. And I've never looked in that book once, if I'm being totally honest. There's a little mustache on the front, so it is giving, like, 2012. 2012 hipster. Yeah. I once went to a mustache-themed birthday party. Me too. <gasps> that's so fun. And duct tape? Bring it back. Oh. Those were the good days. <laughs> I know. I like how we say, like, those are the good old days, yet we're talking about, like, the 1920s and 1930s. <laughs> good old days. The good old days. So, soon after her flight across the Atlantic, Earhart did her first solo flight across the U.S., um, and she did that in 1928 as well. Then, in 1929, Amelia placed third in the Santa Monica to Cleveland Women's Air Derby. So it was like an air race, and Ooh. she placed third, which like Just good for her. Across the sky, yeah. In early 1930, Amelia Earhart became involved with the 99s, an international organi- organization of licensed women pilots committed to advancing the cause of women in aviation. Earhart became the group's first president, and the 99s still exist today. Ugh. And they have a scholarship in her honor called Ooh. the Amelia Earhart like Memorial Scholarship, I think. That's kind of fun. So those of you listening, applying to college, go go get that bag. Is it like a pilot award or like any scholarship? I didn't look it up, but honestly, like scholarships like that, 
sometimes I feel like maybe you don't, I feel like it has to, would probably have to do something with like aviation, but I don't yeah. necessarily know if it would be like, you have to like be studying av- aviation or like be mm. interested in it. I don't really know. No, so. because my little brother is going to get his pilot's license next fall. So I'll be <gasps> like, hey, go check this out real quick. Go check this out. Yeah. He needs money. But that's so cool. Yeah. I've always like thought about getting my pilot's license. But I've it never. It pays really well. It pays really well. My brother's a pilot. My Ooh. sister-in-law's a pilot. My Man, dad's a pilot. Family. It's like runs in the family. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Maybe one summer I'll it's just like sit theater. down. You have to have so many hours though, and I don't know when I would have the time to like get in those hours mm-hmm. of flying. But I also say that, and I'm like the type of person who like lays in bed all weekend doing nothing. <laughs> so I there, I definitely would have time, but I don't know. It's always one of those things that I'm always just like putting like. Maybe it'll be a little hobby someday. Maybe. Maybe it'll be, like, my little thing when I get out of college. Like, in between, yeah. like, jobs, whatever. It could be your midlife crisis. It could be my... You say, I have to change my life. I'm going to go get my pilot's license. I'm going to go get my pilot's license, everyone. I gotta go, guys. That honestly happened to one of my English teachers. That's funny. Like, she would just, like, tell us, like, today I went to the... At my lunch break, I went to the airport and got some hours in. We, were all, we would all sit there and be like, oh, how, how interesting. Really happy for you, Miss Johnson. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you, girl. So, on February 7th, 1931, Amelia Earhart gets married Aww. to George Putnam, a publicist who was actually one of the first people to throw in Amelia's name into consideration for her transcontinental flight. Always a fan. Um, but although he was married when they first met... Um, the pair started spending extensive time together, which did leave the, lead to them becoming intimate. Oop. And Putnam did divorce his wife to go marry Amelia. Or Amelia, wow. She she was, like, sorry to Putman's wife, but she was kind of killing it. She was kind of killing it. She had all it. these careers, met the president, won the awards, got some dude to leave his wife for her. Literally, but, says, but wait till you hear about this. Oh. So... Earhart often referred to their marriage as a partnership, and their marriage was also very progressive because Amelia asked George for an open relationship. Oh. So basically she wrote them, wrote him this letter basically saying, like, I don't expect you to be entirely faithful to me, and I don't want you to expect me to be entirely faithful to you. Yeah. She's like, I know you cheated on me with your wife. No, cheated on your wife with, with me. me. She's like, I'm not dumb. It's probably going to happen again. Also... But I also, want to be with other men. Yeah. You're not enough for me. Sorry. <laughs> and maybe women. We don't know. She could have oh, been, yeah. been a lesbian. She's testing some people out. Yeah. And, and you know what? Good for her. Good for it. her. She yeah. was She was the progressive woman. She said, let me do it all. Real quick. Literally. But that's kind of who she's been her entire life. Yeah. Like, she doesn't live by the standards. That's like, actually so cool. That's so, how you make a name for yourself. Exactly. Um... So, Amelia Earhart's fame comes to a major, major climax on May 20th, 1932, the 5th anniversary of Charles Lindbergh's flight, when she became the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. Yay! The flight was 14 hours and 56 minutes long. She Um, did it faster, She did it faster. And Earhart flew the journey in her red Lockheed Vega 5B, which she bought in 1930 and had nicknamed, you ready? Little Red Bus. Little Red Bus? Is that not the cutest? I thought it was like Red Robin or something. Little Red Bus. That's so fun. I, that's what I thought, too. I was like, she got the canary. Maybe this one's going to be like, what's a red bird? Red Robin. Red Robin. Like keep the bird theme. No. Yeah. 
We're on a school bus now. We're on a school bus now. And I honestly, it, it does it stay on theme? No. Is it still adorable? Ooh, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, the theme is it's cute. Exactly. That's it. And she also Done. flew in like the friendship. She had the canary. Like all of these have really, really cute names. I know. That's so fun. The flight took off from Harbor Grace, Newfoundland, Canada, and landed in a field near Londonderry, North Ireland. The flight immediately became a worldwide sensation. No one could stop talking about that, like, a woman had just flown across the Atlantic all by herself. We still can't. We're talking about it right now. We're so, yeah, exactly. That's crazy. People still can't stop talking about it. So Earhart was highly honored for this flight, winning her award, like winning her tons of awards and medals. Um, some of her medals included the gold medal presented by the National Geographic, handed to her by President Herbert Hoover. Oh, keep them coming. Um, she got the Distinguished Flying Cross from the U.S. Congress and the Cross of the Knight of the Legion of Honor. What a name. That's from sexy. From the French government. Oh, that's sexy. Is that not? Oh, good I would her. go home with all my medals and like be wearing them and I'll be like, look what I got. I know, they'd be hung in my front hall. Anytime a guest came over, I'd be like, hang them on my door. Don't mind I would those. use them as like door knockers. Like you have to like grab the medal and like knock my door with it. They're like, you know, people have those like college signs. Like, oh, my kid goes to this college, like on their lawns. I'd have all my trophies just hung out there. Just in display cases, just along my lawn. And Everyone you know how like by. some people have like the little like Stickman family like things on their cars. Mm -hmm. Those, that mine would just be my medals. Just lined up. A little signature from every president I've met. Yeah. I just screamed to a little sticker and lined them on the back. Which, like, I would. Oh, Everyone needs. Like, that's what, and I think it's so funny of, like, people who, like, win, like, Oscars and stuff. Like, they always try to hide them. But if no. I got those, like, those would be fully just, like. I'd say, look what I did. I would get a coffee table and they would all be sitting on my coffee oh, yeah. table. That's, like, it's so funny when um, celebrities, it's, like, a big, like, embarrassing confession when they're, like. Yeah, I've seen some edits of myself. I'm like, no, I'm going to be so real. If I were a celebrity, I would be looking up my name on every social me media. Me too. I want to know what y'all are saying about me, what pictures you think are good, like, what's what's the vibe I'm giving? I know, because I feel like I could just, like, play off of that. Like, how can I improve myself? Oh, yeah, I would create a little fan account for myself and use it to, like, interact with other fans and, like, stalk their pages literally, and stuff. Literally. And then when it's revealed, like, way later in life that that was me, it'd be, like, mm -hmm. this whole scandal thing. It'd be really fun. So, leading up to her final flight, um, Earhart flew several other notable flights, including being the first person to fly solo from Honolulu, Hawaii, to Oakland, California. So, not the first woman, just the first person. Oof. So, first woman and person. Killing it. The first person, once again, to fly solo from Los Angeles to Mexico City. Then, the first person, again, <laughs> to fly solo from Mexico City to New York. She's just doing it all. She was doing it all. She's like, let me just check these off my list real quick. And after doing all these, she started talking about kind of, like, her imminent retirement. Mm. She's not, like, imminent, but she's at the point in her life where she doesn't want to, like, settle down and, like, you know, she'll still be flying, but she won't be, like, you know, flying all over the world She's like, anymore. guys, I'm so tired of breaking records right now. <laughs> it's really weighing on me. But she also, like, has her husband, like, who, her husband's, like, so devoted to her. That was, Aww. like, one of the big things I looked up is, like, he's fully just, like, even though I would she be too, girl. Even though it is an open marriage, like his number one person is That's Amelia. That's so sweet. Listen, if I were married to Amelia Earhart, she too would be my top priority. Literally, and you and honestly, like I'm a kind of person who likes space. With her, if she's flying all the time, you get your space. I know it's a perfect and then you deal. get to enjoy all the time, like when she comes back. She comes back and you're like, oh, welcoming her at the airport. It's Literally. a huge welcome home thing. 
I would be a nepotism wife if my <laughs> wife was Amelia Earhart. Oh, 100%. I'd be a little trophy wife for her. Literally. I'd be fine with that. Um, so, in preparation for her round-the-world flight, Amelia Earhart purchases a Lockheed Electra L-10E plane. This one doesn't specifically have a nickname, but it's mostly just referred to as the Electra. The which Electra. I think, which I still think is, like, a cool... It's kind of a sexy name. Like, it is the plane's, like... The plane's legal name. Yeah. But, um... It's okay, though. You're quote, saying all these, like, yeah, like quote unquote plane legal titles, names, and but, I don't know what they are anyways, so it's okay. But, so, Electra. So, you just have to know it as the Electra. Electra. Like, you're not gonna remember what the Canary's actual name is, but you know it's called the Canary. Exactly. Electra, like, Soc- Sophocles. Yeah, Sophocles. Sophocles, yes. So, she also gathers a crew for her flight. Captain Harry Manning... Um, first navigator, Fred Noonan, second navigator, and Paul Mance, who I thought this was really cool. He was a Hollywood stunt pilot, and he was hired as the technical advisor for this trip. Huh. So, like, that was his whole job before this, was he literally just worked as, like, stunts for movies in Hollywood. Like, can you do the real thing? He's like, "Mm, probably. Uh, He's like, okay, great. Come on, we're doing this big journey. I'll be, like, I don't know, technical advisor or something like that. Yeah, but I, he does like as a pilot he did know like the background of these planes and as I'm technical glad. advisor like i think for stunt pilots i think you have to know the inner workings of your plane so well if you're oh, gonna yeah. be doing these stunts so i think it was like he was probably a really good person to hire mm-hmm. as technical advisor so the original plan was um she was gonna circumnavigate the earth um around the equator starting off in oakland california then she would fly west to Hawaii, then fly west across the Pacific Ocean to Australia, then cross India onto Africa, then to Florida, and all the way back to California. That's so many places. Um, and all of them would be basically around the equator. So you would be kind of like going through the center of the earth pretty yeah. much. Um, so the group leaves on March 17th, 1937. They take off from Oakland, but because of some flight issues, they ended up having to land at the United States Navy Field on Ford Island in Pearl Harbor. Mm. So they are, like, in Hawaii. Yeah, but a little pit stop. It's a little pit stop. After three days of repairs, the group began to take off once again, but something went wrong and Earhart lost control of the plane and looped the plane on the runway. Which, I didn't look it up specifically what looping the plane on the runway means, but what they, like, think had happened, it's honestly, like, conflicting of, like, people who saw it think they saw that her tire blew Mm -hmm. as they were taking off, and that's what caused the plane to, like, in, like, the movie, there's, like, an Amelia Earhart movie, what they did is they showed it kind of, like, sliding, basically skidding off the runway into the grass on the side, but her navigator's basically said that she had mishandled the plane in some way Oof, they're blaming her so they blamed her but it's honestly not fully proven like yeah. how i was imagine like a little drift on mario kart yeah just in a circle but in a plane they're not supposed yeah, to do plane. that just testing out just testing it out so she did lose control of the plane and the plane had to be shipped back to california for extensive <gasps> repairs not the electra Oh, my dad just, once again, Joe came through. Grand loop, so it spins out. The airplane, like, spins out off the runway. Is that because of, like, a tire blowing, or is that a mishandlement of her? It's still, once again, not fully proven. I thought your dad was just going to answer the conspiracy once and for all. I was really excited. (laughs) I said, oh, we're solving it. He solved it for us. Call Um, the news. But that's 
what he texted me okay. is explains what a grand loop is. So it's not a good thing. You're basically like you're not crashing the plane like it was ever in the air, but it mm. you're it didn't make it. Not ideal. No big deal. It did have to pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars in repairs. But <laughs> happens to the best of happens us. Happens to the best of us. So by the time the team had gathered enough money for a new flight, Earhart had rerouted the flight plan for the trip to travel east rather than west. Hmm. And by this time, Captain Harry Manning and Paul Mance both left the team due to Manning's previous commitments and Mance's contract disputes. Uh. Mance wanted more money. They didn't have the money to give to him, so he said, peace out, bye. They're like, we just spent all this money on the repairs. What makes you think we have the but money? But Manning had a valid reason of, like, the new flight plan would conflict with, like, other agreements he had made. So he was like, guys, I just genuinely, like, can't be here for this. You gotta write those conflicts down. On so for form. this new flight, it was just Earhart and Noonan. Just, uh-huh. it was just a little pair. Little buddies. But honestly, I feel like I would like more. I, w- yeah. I would not... Bonded for, for life. Bonded for life. Two people rather than four people on a flight. I, yeah. I, like, in a small little flight. Like, I think... Except for, what if you got annoyed with them? Mm, you know, at least with four people, you have, like, a couple other people to turn to and be like, oh, I hate this person so much. And then you can resolve it later. With two people, you just be steaming. You just be fuming alone. True. But I feel like if Noonan was the only one to stick around, I feel like they would have had, like, a pretty tight... Yeah, band. they're pals. It's they are good. definitely pals. So, now that their trek is getting restarted, Earhart and Noonan took off from Oakland to Miami, Florida, where, in Miami, Florida, that's where their flight, like, officially begins, pretty much. Mm. So, the pair was sent off on June 1st, 1937, with a large fanfare of supporters, as they initially flew south towards South America, then then turned east towards Africa. Then they flew across the Indian Ocean, touching down in Leh, New Guinea, on June 29, 1937. By this time, Earhart and Noonan had completed around 22,000 miles of their 29,000-mile flight. Oh my gosh. So they only have 7,000 miles to go at They're this so point. Close. They're so Come close. Come on, guys. While in New Guinea, Amelia Earhart unfortunately contracts dysentery. No! Which I think is so funny because our second episode was about um, the Donner Party. Oh! And that's like about like the Oregon Trail. And yeah. Like, have you ever played the Oregon Trail video game? No, but I've watched people play it. I always think of like people in that game always die of just like straight dysentery. Yeah, so like whenever you I hear dysentery, dysentery. Like, it, I always just think of like the Oregon Trail. Amelia, no! Amelia, no! Not the Oregon Trail! Not the Oregon Trail! But so she did contract dysentery. It didn't kill her. This is not this is not what caused her to disappear. (laughs) Um, But during her bout of illness, several changes were made to the plane, including adding extra fuel tanks and removing and packing away the parachutes as they were not needed for flying over the Pacific. Oh, obviously they said we don't need these. So it's already just like, you guys are making some mistakes. More (laughs) fuel and no parachutes? In my mind, I would be saying more parachutes, less fuel. Mm. Parachutes mean survival. Nah, I don't think we need parachutes. That's fine. It'll nah, be fine. Nah, no parachutes. It's water. It's like, water, guys. It'll be fine. That reminds me of the TikTok show that was like the butterfly effect, and you'll do mm-hmm. one thing, and the little sound appears, and it's like, this action will have consequences. <laughs> yeah. That's it removing the parachutes. Exactly. Yeah. 
So the plan was that once leaving New Guinea, they would fly 2,556 miles away to Howland Island, which sits between Australia and Hawaii. But finding this island would prove difficult to the team because the island was small. And when I say small, it was only 6,500 feet long, 1,600 feet wide, and no more than 20 feet above the ocean. Feet? So it's just like a landing strip, basically. Yeah. Um, But because this island was going to be hard to find, there were several contingencies in place to kind of like help them get to the island. Mm. So, such as they were going to use celestial navigation, um, they had access to the U.S. Coast Guard vessel Itasca. Itasca. I think I'm saying that right. Itasca. I always want to say, like, Ithaca. Like, you know, Ithaca, New York. Because that's what it looks like it should be spelled like, but I promise you it is not. It is (laughs) I-T-A-S-K-A. Itasca. 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 Okay. I task I, I, I task <laughs> I hope I can say this like right. Itasca. Itasca. I keep wanting to say Ithaca and it is not Ithaca. It is Itasca. Okay. So they had radio access to this vessel. That's all like Perfect. that's all you need to know is they had access to the US Coast Guard if mm-hmm. they needed. And this vessel is stationed off of the island. Um, they also had access to a map and compass, as most planes do. Um, and then once they had aligned with the island after takeoff, so basically what they were going to do is take off and align the plane with where the island's trajectory should be, mm-hmm. they would begin flying north and south looking for Howland Island, and the Itasca would send up a smoke plume that they could see from the air that would like lead them towards this island. They also had a plan in place to ditch the plane if needed, um, thinking that the extra fuel tanks they had on board would help the plane float in the ocean until rescue could arrive. Oh. So if they ran out of fuel for any reason, if anything went wrong, went, went wrong <laughs> they could land in the ocean. So we don't even need the parachutes, guys. Exactly. Obviously. Obviously no parachutes. Earhart and Noonan left New Guinea on July 2nd, 1937 at 12.30 a.m. Though their flight seemed to be well-planned, several decisions led to some major consequences. I wonder what those could be. Including leaving behind an extra shorter wave, shorter wavelength frequency radio, so the wavelengths themselves are shorter, but it, they can reach like farther distances. Mm. So they left that behind because they wanted more room for the fuel canisters. Ugh, pack in the fuel, guys. But the fuel itself, they had packed. Um, they had loaded the plane with a thousand gallons, which was fifty gallons short of full capacity. So they were so all this fuel, and they weren't even at. Full. They didn't even fill it. They didn't even fully fill it to full capacity. Man. I just, I like keep, I read that and I was like adding it to my research and I thought this is so funny. Like, like guys, all of that for not even a full fuel tank. Literally. I'm like, oh, all this is just going wrong. <laughs> the flight circumstances um, that the pair had left with led to a lot of unsolvable issues. Earhart and the Itsaka could not find the frequency they were having, like, miscommunications on which frequency they needed to be on to communicate. Oh, no. I hope this doesn't turn out terribly. And their actual radio communication that they ended up having was very poor. There was also a misunderstanding regarding check-in time for the flyers. 
So the Flyers were, themselves were operating on Greenwich Civil Time, whereas the Itsaka was operating on the Naval Time Zone, which set their schedules 30 minutes apart. So their check-ins so were rough. never on time. At 7.20 a.m. on July 2nd, 1937, Earhart reported the Electra's location, placing it 20 miles southwest of the Nukumanu Islands. At 7.42, was, um, the Isaka received one of Earhart's final messages, where she said, We must be on you, but we cannot see you. Fuel is running low. Been unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at 1,000 feet. And that was one of the last things that Amelia Earhart w had ever said, like, on radio, on tape. That's great. Why is that so haunting? It's, it's like, not a haunting message. But, like, but knowing it, what's about to happen, like, so, that she's about ugh. to just disappear forever, it is very, like, haunting and scary. So, the Asaka did not respond, but it is un- did, they did respond, sorry. So, uh. they did respond, but it is completely unknown whether or not Earhart and Noonan had heard it. Um, at 8.43 a.m., Earhart and Noonan sent their last communication, which I don't have a quote for, um, though the pair where they were positioned was really questionable, especially because it was discovered that Noonan's chart of Howland Island's position was off by five nautical miles. Huh. So where they actually thought Howland Island was was not correct. Um... Which five nautical miles, like, that doesn't seem like a lot, but just that small, like, issue in your trajectory can oh, yeah. throw you off big time. The Itsaka made several efforts to signal the flyers, but it seemed to be apparent that they had not seen any of them and had ditched the plane into the ocean. Once the Itsaka had realized that they had lost contact, a major search effort began to find Earhart and Noonan. 66 aircrafts and nine ships using an estimated four million rescue four million dollars of rescue authorized by president franklin d roosevelt were sent on the search but the official search ended on july 18th 1937. Earhart's husband began finax financing extra search efforts but by october of 1937 he had begun acknowledging that the chance that his wife had survived and that Noonan had survived was basically lost. That's so sad. On January 5th, 1939, Amelia Earhart was declared legally dead by the Superior Court in the Los Angeles Times. Ugh. Is that not Amelia. just so sad? It, especially with her husband, like, financing more searching just for it to come to nothing. Literally. But now we kind of get to go into the interesting part of the theories around Yay. Earhart's disappearance. So this is our first, like, unsolved case mm -hmm. on the show. So you're going to get, like, a little historical moment on Club Crime. Ooh. Our first unsolved case where we get to talk about theories. So fun. Maybe we'll meet a president after this. We'll see. <laughs> maybe. Next on the list. This is, yeah. We, we're doing Club Crime. And now, next, the president. Perfect. Call him up. He'll be our next He's guest. He's the next guest. He's our Perfect. next week's guest, actually, if you guys were wondering. <laughs> we're going over the assassination of uh, JFK, actually. Let's Ooh, talk about it. I'm going to write that down. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> one. Thank you. Anyway, he was killed in Dallas. Not that yeah. Here. I've, yeah, it's like really nearby. You can still go to the same street and see the mm -hmm. building and stuff and everything. Yeah. 
That yeah, I'm writing that down. Have I'm gonna fun. put that on my little uh, list of like shows I wanna. Yeah, field trip. We'll we'll be live air from the hotel that the sniper <laughs> live was in. at whatever the street is called where JFK was murdered. Here we are, like broad daylight. I think there's McDonald's in the background now. Oh, it's a cool looking McDonald's though. I guess I'll have to go visit sometime. <laughs> so let's talk about the theories about yes. her disappearance. So. Several theories have obviously been presented. Everyone has their own idea of, like, what happened to Amelia Earhart. But the most credible and most probable is that once the pair ditched the plane into the ocean, they both either died on impact or perished in the waters shortly after. Amen. So it's kind of like, I mean, it's the most probable theory, but it's also yeah. the theory of, like, ugh, like... That one's a bummer. It's a, it's a bummer, If exactly. you're going to have a mystery that's, like, unsolvable... You might as well go a bit crazy with it. Because who's going to prove you wrong? Exactly. Them, they're dead. Can't happen. Yeah. So, honestly, yeah, I agree. <laughs> it could be like, like you could just say like, oh, aliens picked yeah. up. Yeah. Can you prove it wrong? No. No. That's what I thought. That's tough. So the reason that the plane was ditched has been linked to basically the Electra not being fully fueled, like we talked about. Mm. Thus, no matter what, the pair would have never been able to make it to Howland Island, even if their conditions had been perfect. So they were doomed from the start, pretty much. That's so sad. Another theory suggests that Earhart and Noonan had been flying without radio transmission for a short time after their last transmission. Um, and then they landed on an uninhabited island called Niku Maroo Reef. I really hope I said that right. I'm so <laughs> sorry to anyone that, like, I, I honestly talk about this, like, all the time of, like, I'm not an expert at pronunciations. I really try my hardest. So, it like, and I've gotten some comments before of, like, <laughs> you did not say this right. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm it's really, I'm really trying my hardest. So, Niku Maroro Reef. And it is about 33... 350 miles south of the Howland Islands. Oh, you get, you get close. Not, like, super close, but you're, like, close. Yeah. Like, you're in the area. You're in the range. Um, so several artifacts actually have been found on this island to support the theory that they both got stranded here, including improvised tools, bits of clothing, an aluminum panel, and a piece of plexiglass the exact width and curvature of an Electra window. See, that's fun, because, like, with the improvised tools and stuff, it implies that they try to survive. They did try to, yeah. And that's the one I like. Of like yeah. At least they, like, fought for They were there for a bit. They were there for a while. Living their little island life. In May of 2012, a jar of freckle cream was found oh. on the neighboring island, Tiu Nikumararo, and many investigators believe that that did, in fact, belong to Earhart. Because she was, so she... I didn't describe what she looks like, but she's 5'8". Um, she has Ooh. this short, cropped, like, red hair. Uh -huh. um, fair she's skin. She's a redhead? She's a redhead. Wow. Um, and then, like, freckles, like, all over. Huh. So... It's, that freckle cream will give you away, man. Yeah. So that's, like, kind of what did give it away. It's like... That's so funny. She definitely was the kind of person who maybe did use freckle cream. Yeah. Another theory suggests that Earhart and Noonan were discovered by a passing Japanese ship after their crash and were taken as prisoners by the Japanese. Uh. While there is not a lot of evidence to support this claim, an unaltered picture was discovered by a retired federal agent in the National Archives in July of 2017. 
The photo supposedly ta- was supposedly taken by a spy on the Jailut Island and depicts a man and a woman that are both good matches for Noonan and Earhart, according to, like, photography investigator, like, professionals. Yeah, that's crazy. See, that one and the last conspiracy could go together, mm-hmm. in theory. They could be like, they survived on the island for a bit, and then they're taken And then away. they got taken prisoner. Um, a ship can also be seen towing an airplane that by like reference in comparison to like scale is around the same measurements as the Electra. Electra's alive. Really happy for her. This photograph has been widely disputed, however, because the date it was taken is completely unknown and it may have even been taken before 1937, meaning that you know lectures dead they wouldn't it wasn't actually them so as much as people like to believe that this was true it's like eh. all right and now we get into my favorite theory the coconut crab theory the coconut crab Mm mm-hmm so coconut crabs are the largest terrestrial arthropods um and that's the same phylum which includes crustaceans spiders and insects the largest they're the largest i want to look them up um they can grow up to around three feet across and uh. weigh nine pounds and they live on the islands in the peace in the pacific and indian oceans making them native to the islands that they like seemingly may have crashed on oh nice did you I'm look lo- it up yeah i'm looking at that right now oh they're huge they're big they're massive that one's like the size of a dog. They literally are. They're and they huge. look more like spiders than crabs. Don't they? Like, they're creepy. That's terrifying. One's the size of a trash can. Oh, I don't like that. If you're listening, look up coconut crabs look. and then be very upset about it. And then you'll have nightmares for, like, the rest of the day. Yeah. I was looking at, like, wolf spiders earlier, like, <gasps> huntsman spiders. Uh-uh. It was horrifying. Why were you looking? And that reminds me. It's like you're putting oh. a TikTok or something. Oh. It's, like, things you don't want to see in your bedroom. And it showed pictures. I was like, you're, you're so right. I don't want to see so that in my right. bedroom. You're so right. I don't want to see How would you know? I'm so arachnophobic. Like, even the oh, smallest spiders. I'm like, mm-mm. Like, mm-mm. absolutely not. Not going to do it. The tiny ones across the desk, gone. Absolutely not. Never. No, I'm so... <laughs> it's It, like, sends chills up my spine. Yay, giant crabs. So these crabs, yeah. So like I said, they live on these islands. Um, their diet consists of coconuts, mm. which they will crack open using their huge, large pinchers, and they basically eat the flesh from inside. So they're... Mm, they're omnivores, yeah. but, like, they eat mostly coconut. It, yeah, vegetarian moment. I, yeah, I don't want to say they're herbivores because, um... They're also known to eat fruit, leaves, their own molted exoskeletons. Yum. And even chickens, kittens, or other coconut crabs. Kittens specifically? I think just cats. Any any No, not small... cats at all. Just kittens. <laughs> I mean I mean the source I found said kittens, so That's I like so wrote funny. in kittens, but I was like, I, it's probably like any small animal they can get yeah. their hands on. I like the um or get their pinches. Their old carcasses. That's just a tasty little bedtime snack for me, Which actually. I looked that up, and they scientists basically think they do that for, like, an extra source of calcium. Yeah. You need to get you that gotta little get your nutrients. there. I mean, we all do that, so. When we you, all, when we you all shed eat your exo- dead carcasses, yeah. When you shed your exoskeleton, you eat it? Yeah. What does it taste like? Um, 
It's really like mine's crunchy on the Mine tastes like Jolly Ranchers. Yeah, it's really crunchy on the outside and then like chewy on the inside. And Ooh. the inside part's like almost like a creamy little custard. But oh. the outside, it's like it's almost like a creme brulee. But oh. It's like crunchy on the outside, like a little roasted sugary. Oh. And then nice and creamy oh, on the inside. How, how interesting. It's um, so Unfortunately, good. mine, I, I think our exoskeletons may be a little bit different. The ones that we're shedding. but <laughs> Mine just melts off a little bit. So, you know, oh. it comes off in chunks. The four people listening to this are like, what are they talking <laughs> about? Tell us about your exoskeletons, guys. <laughs> call in. Yeah, call in. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and you know, tweet me about your yeah. Comment below what your exoskeletons look like <laughs> and taste like and taste like. So basically, those who support the coconut crab theory believe that once Earhart and Noonan had died on Nikumararo Island, so like, one they had been surviving for a while, like yeah. the evidence clear for that. But once they had actually died on the island, the coconut crabs swarmed their bodies, basically picking them apart and scattering their bones around the island, which is like why any bone evidence that have found on the island has been so scattered mm. which would make sense that the coconut crabs would have yeah. like moved those bones around when they're eating them just a little meal just a little meal you know what i'd rather have coconut crabs eat me than like roaches or maggots or something you yeah. know is it one or the other i would give myself to the coconut crabs i feel like that'd be like cooler to say like yeah. my body got eaten by coconut and crabs. and also they're really big for some reason i like that better than the idea of like tiny little things all over me yeah i'd rather just have like, I feel a like few they big do faster more yeah exactly things. just rip some chunks off call it a day so that's the last like most supported theory mm. um of course there are like the theories of like sh- they got taken by aliens they like <laughs> disappeared into another dimension like there, there's all sorts of theories out there, but those are, wow. like, the actual, like, ones that can be supported by, like, yeah. evidence. But now we'll actually talk about Amelia Earhart's legacy. Oh. So, even though she has disappeared, her legacy has lasted for generations, even, like, our own generations. In 1942... Yeah, she was an I think her skeleton was an up. Oh, it was! Yeah, because the little girl who ended up being the old lady mm-hmm. who died mm-hmm. wanted to be her, and then they, like... They found, found her. her skeleton. Yes, I forgot about that. That's the up theory. That's what I personally <laughs> adhere to. In 1942, a United States Liberty ship was named the SS Amelia Earhart, and it was launched. Um, but unfortunately, it wrecked in 1948. Oh, man. You know what? It's just following the legacy. <laughs> it was following the legacy. Earhart was inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame in 1992. Just, you know, fun fact. Motorsports. And Amelia Earhart Day is held annually on July 24th on her birthday. Hooray! Are you going to announce that on your special, like, national holidays? I mean, I won't be here at TCU because that's when I'm home. Yeah, I'll I'll come back just for July 24th. Just for July 24th. Say, hey, guess what day it is, guys. Um, Amelia Earhart still remains as one of aviation's most iconic and prevalent historical figures. She's also a role model for people around the world who show us how to break stereotypes and achieve any goal you put your mind to. And that is the story of the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Yay! Amelia! What did you think? That was fun. I didn't know about the coconut crab theory. I feel like, I feel very educated. Yeah, I mean... Uh, like I said, this one has not been as personal as some of the other ones were, but it's mm-hmm. like, like I said, it's like those weird, like, little coincidences. Like, yeah. my family's also pilots. My name's Amelia, though it's not spelled the same. My birthday is the day before hers. Yeah, like, it's little things and you go, ugh, that's kind of silly. Literally. So, I mean, 
And I think I did, like, dress up for Amelia Earhart. It's like, you know when you'd have those, like, little, like, dress-up days at, like, school and all Yeah. I for sure probably dressed up as her once. See, unfortunately, I always chose very um, unfortunate people to be. I was Sacagawea. Oh. One year. I don't know. I just really, really liked her. Didn't think a thing wrong about that. And back then, like, it, those were the things that you really just didn't think yeah. about. But I just read a book about her. I said, this girl's so cool. I also wanted to be Anne Frank one time. Oh, oh, that's it was tough. That's that is a little tough. Um, I was showed the movie when I was like six at school. Oh, so I was like, wow, she's so brave and cool. <laughs> and then I read her diary and I was like, wow, she's so brave and cool. But also, I'm sorry, like what happened to you? Yeah, that's so sad. Let me just have a her real quick. <laughs> oh no, that's actually so <laughs> terrible. But yeah, so that is the story. Do you have any final questions or comments? Um, I think the next step is to link all the conspiracy theories together and make it so they actually all exist at once. Except for the drowning in the ocean one probably doesn't really help. But I feel like everything else could be pieced back together. Even the Japanese taking him away as prisoner. What if eventually they just brought him back to the same island? They brought him back to the same island. And that's when the aliens took them. And then the aliens got bored and dropped them into the island, and yeah. that's when they drowned. Or dropped them into the water, and that's when they drowned. I was thinking when the coconut crabs come in. Maybe one of them got left for the coconut crabs, and the mm, other got dropped. Split them up. They split them up. They just took a couple limbs from both, actually. Mm-hmm. It's like a little taster plate. Oh, delicious. Uh, try a little arm from Amelia, a leg from Noonan. <laughs> Mwah. Mm, delicious. Connoisseur. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Club Crime. Yes. You are officially part of the club that is Club Crime. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, and to the listeners out there, please join us next week for another true crime story where we have another special guest joining us. And this has been Club Crime.